Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease and a whole lot of love, you transform 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. LED headlights, spoilers, whatever you need. eBay Motors has it at affordable prices. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride every time. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner Plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. Welcome to the NASCAR and NBC podcast presented by STP. I'm your host, Nate Ryan. Today we are at Eldora Speedway. I am in the sparkling new media center, and I'm joined by the man who is the reason behind that sparkling media center, who I just learned. It's Tony Studer's our guest today. He's allergic to dirt. <laughs> to dust, yes. To dust. Okay. I'm allergic to dust. <laughs> when did you find out you were allergic to dust? Uh, when I was a little kid, so... <laughs> But when you want to race and you're a dirt racer, there's a lot of days that I was, my nose was stopped up and my eyes were watery, but it was, uh, that's just what we do. Do you take medication for as much <laughs> as you run on uh, tracks with dust? I used to get allergy shots all the time and, uh, you know, we'll take allergy medicine occasionally when we get, when it gets too bad. Obviously it doesn't deter you too much because not only do you race dirt a lot, you own a dirt track. It's this one that we're at, Eldora Speedway. I've heard a lot about you at this place, Tony, but I felt like I never got a sense for how much you were in your element when you were here, particularly when it comes to track prep, because I got to observe it last night about an hour before truck qualifying when I watched you call your water truck driver. Was it Rob? Rob. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Tony Stewart called this guy, what, three times in five minutes, I yeah. think? Enough that he wants to turn his phone off when I'm here. <laughs> Tell me about about that. What makes you so immersed in the track operations while you're here? You know, the thing about dirt tracks is it doesn't matter what caliber drivers, what caliber cars, if we screw the racetrack up, it's not going to be a good race. So it doesn't mean that if we get it perfect, it's going to be a good race. But at least if it's not a good race at that point, it's not because of the track prep. It's really hard, especially for the truck event. You know, you're you're here for two days and you start at 4.30 to 5 o'clock in the afternoon, which is really early for dirt track racing, and especially when, you know, it was 100 degrees for the truck race yesterday so to have that kind of sun and wind and heat is really hard on a dirt track it dries it out very fast it's hard to keep the moisture in it so uh, the last time you till it the last time that you put water on it are probably the two most crucial things i think when when it comes time to prepping it and it's half the battle for the night is getting it right that first time i mean we know when we do the truck race that 
uh, we're going to have that 35 minute window after the last chance race to work it one more time before the actual race starts. So, uh, you know, that's probably the second most crucial part to it is, you know, what you have left and what you need to fix to get ready for a 150 lap race. We were just talking about that last night. You were explaining that a nice day, a sunny day with no rain is actually not a great day for prepping your dirt track, right? Well, it's better than a rainy day for sure, but <laughs> yeah, you know, but there's you, a fine line there, I guess. Yeah, right? yeah. If, if you could get an overcast day that's 70 degrees and and uh, not windy. I mean, that's perfect conditions that you can control the the dirt a lot better. But we could put water on the track yesterday uh, in the middle of the day and literally in 15 to 20 minutes see the top of it start drying out immediately just because it's evaporating that fast. It can't soak in from the time that we get done tilling it and to the point to where we're just watering the racetrack. I mean, you, you really have to stay up on it. And with dirt tracks, I mean, and every dirt track fights the same thing that we do here. You're going to have spots that are hard. You're going to have spots in the dirt that are a little soft and hold a little more moisture. It's not as easy as just turning the valve on on a water truck and just running around there constant speed and doing it. It's knowing where those tricky spots are on the racetrack and knowing how to kind of ease off the water in some areas and put more water in others uh, to, to get the consistency the way you want it. And when you're watching from a suite in turn three, sometimes you can see those spots a little better than Rob or whoever's... Well, I thought I could see it better. And then when I called him and asked him why he was doing something and he explained it, it's like, okay, I get it. Go ahead and just keep doing what you're doing. So <laughs> when I come here, I he, he has a system that works pretty good. But when I get here, I totally disrupt and mess the system up. From a good place, right? I mean, yeah. I, like, I yeah. mean, and when the times I'm here working with him, it's when there's really big shows. And not that it's not important every night, but I mean, when you have a big race like that, I mean, it's really important to have it right. You know, when we prep it for the truck race, I mean, it's something that we have to do a, a lot different than what we do on a weekly show where we start at cars on the racetrack at 6.30 or 7 o'clock at night. There's things that have to be done a different way. And then like this week, we had four guys that were available at all times to work on the track at the same time. And that's not normally what we have here on a, on a weekly show. We're talking on the day after the truck race. How much sleep did you get after the truck race? I don't know. When the alarm went off, I felt like I just laid down. But I, I think it was uh, I think it was about 2.30 when I laid down and the alarm went off at 8.45. So that was that's the most <laughs> sleep I got all week. Uh, we, we got done the night before the truck race at 5 and the alarm went off at 11. So I was, it was about the same amount time five and a half okay. six hours of sleep and that's just part of the deal when you come here i mean you, this is a passion for you and you love doing it you love being a part of it but it's work at the same time it's a lot of work <laughs> and uh, i mean i was getting five six hours of sleep sometimes a little less than that but the guy that's kind of our general manager here larry bows he uh he was averaging two hours of sleep every night for seven straight days and he's about 10 years older than me so i mean he's that's a guy that uh, i'm not complaining about how much stuff i had to do because he's out there picking up trash he's cleaning the grandstands i mean we we don't have a, a staff at one of the typical nascar tracks has probably 50 times more staff than what we have here you know, we got a, a small crew that has to turn around from having a huge sprint car race Thursday through Saturday night, getting it all turned around Sunday to where when TV and NASCAR start rolling in on Monday to, to be on track Tuesday, we got to have stuff ready to go. Everything from top to bottom, from Roger Slack to Larry to Rob, everybody that's involved here at Eldora, everybody does a great job to pull off what we do there in a you know seven-day span. Roger was on the podcast last week and he told us a full-time staff of seven people. Yeah. So pound for pound, and like you said, you're running Kings Royal and then four nights later or whatever you run the Camping World Truck Series. I mean, pound per pound, there's probably no track punching above its weight quite like this one is in America. I would put my staff up against any short track in the country. I mean, and, and, I've, and there's some great short tracks that have great staffs, but I mean, 
to be able to pull off what we pull off five really big events each year. That's a hard feat to get everything ready to do that. This place opened uh, in 1954, Tony, and you bought it 50 years later. And so you're now 13 years into to ownership. How much pressure was there in maintaining the legacy that Earl Balt has built? And that, what do you feel like you guys have added to it? Well, I think the pressure has been what I've put on myself. I mean, that was something that, you know, when we bought the track, you know, Earl and Bernice, when they came to me about buying it, they didn't say, hey, we want you to preserve our legacy. It was, we think you're the right guy to take the track over. But it was important to me to learn Earl's vision and try to preserve that and continue that vision. And something that's kind of a really delicate balancing act is it's still a short track. It's still a a dirt track. You don't want to totally change the feel of the Saturday night short track, but at the same time, you want to bring amenities in there like an infield care center and media center and sponsor billboards on the backstretch, things that you see at at the big tracks. You, You want to add those things, adding suites, things that, that really have helped bring a whole different demographic and bring a lot of corporate sponsorship to dirt track racing. You want to bring those in, but at the same time, not take away the right. the short Saturday night dirt track feel of it as well. How do you figure that out and know how to how to modernize <laughs> it without, without diminishing its charm? And is there an example of like something like you thought, hey, this is something we should have, but we can't because of this place goes back to the middle of the 20th century? Well, I mean, just like the, the grandstands, I mean, it's, it's wooden boards that have painted numbers on them. <laughs> right. And I'm like, I want to put aluminum bleachers with backs on them and all that and make it really nice. Problem is when you do that, you start taking seats away. There's people that have had reserved seats for 20, 30 years in their family. And it's like, if we do some of these things and have to move seats around, it's changing the feel of it for them. You know, so that's, that's the balancing act. When we talk about doing a project, I would like to think after all these years, 38 or 39 years, I've been involved in racing now that I've got a pretty good perspective on things because I've, I was first a fan, then I became a driver, then I became a track owner, then I, then I became, well, I became a car owner in 2001 and then I became a track owner. And, and so I can see it from all different angles. So when it comes time to doing a project and, and the, we have the wish list of ideas and projects we want to do, but when it comes time to looking at it, I, I can sit there and say, okay, a new video board this year. And I'm like, okay, as a fan, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, it, it, it was a good thing. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's a really nice video board. It's easy for the fans all the way around the racetrack to see it now. Definitely the right decision. And that's how I look at it. It depends on no matter what the, what aspect it is, I can think about it from whether it's a driver's perspective or a car owner's perspective or a fan's perspective. I have to think a little harder when it comes to the, the sponsor side of it, what's right for them. But I feel like I have the ability with what I've learned from being in the sports along that we can kind of wrap our hands around it. What's the number one most important thing for a dirt track fan as far as the experience? experience that track you know it's hard because when you when you when you're around true dirt track fans that are dedicated dirt track fans they don't mind getting dirty at a dirt track right when you bring the casual dirt track fan right if they get a a little dirty it's frustrating for them but the the diehard dirt track fan if the race is good and they get a little bit dirty in the process they'll overlook being a little bit dirty if the race was good yeah the casual dirt track fan if they get a little bit dirty doesn't matter how good the race was so it's you do the best you can to do the things you have to do on the racetrack itself to make it make the racing as good as it needs to be for the fans sometimes i mean you're you're dealing with a dirt track it's going to be dirty sometimes if the wind's blowing the wrong direction or it gets too dry they might they might get a little bit dirty by the end of the night but it's it's not like you're rolling around in a mud puddle at home i mean it's you just get a little dusty and you dust off and you go home it sounds like this balance you guys try to strike here it reminds me a little bit and maybe i'm over identifying but like what i hear from nascar when they're trying to like placate the diehards and attract this new generation of kids 
we're obsessed with digital stuff and I know how, I, how, I, do you, how do you strike it I guess right I guess I still happens. think that if you keep the diehard fans diehard fans they're the ones that bring the next generation and share that passion of why they're a diehard fan that's because how they, they validate create. it they tell them it's this is yeah. cool and this is what you should put down your smartphone this is what you should be paying attention right. to that's how they develop the diehard fan I think there's times when as promoters we overthink it a little bit too much I think if you have a good product and when I say good product when you have good racing on the racetrack if your concessions are reasonable reasonably priced and you're not trying to do it like a arena or something where a beer's eight dollars and a coke's five dollars if you can keep the prices where it's affordable for for people to come and bring their families and you have a program that can run in a reasonable amount of time and the racing's good that's all you need Right. You just got to make it fun for them and make them feel like when they come here, they're not going to be broke when they leave. Well, if they all could take a ride in a Ford Raptor around <laughs> Eldora Speedway, I, not only would everyone here be convinced, you could probably convince vast multitudes of, of more people. Unfortunately, that's not something everybody gets to do, but I got to do it today, which I'm very appreciative for. And you were driving as we went for a ride sideways through turns one and two. I now understand for a driver what the, what the appeal is. I, I mean, I've heard drivers talk about before about like why dirt track racing is fun. And you said that was as much fun as, as you've had here in a long time. Why do you love dirt racing it, it, as, from a driver's perspective? Is it just the pure sensation? This is what I felt today, at least. Is it just the pure sensation of always feeling as if you're driving the car because you have so much input into it with steering and throttle and everything? Is it just is it just that simple? It is. I mean, especially a place like Eldora here. I mean, when I was running sprint cars and midgets and silver crown cars, this was one of the most intimidating places that we went to because when you're really good and comfortable here, you're running right up by the wall and you're running really fast up by the wall to where you make a mistake you don't really have much room to to get it gathered back up you know this place has always been intimidating but it's just it's fun and you know taking a ford a stock ford raptor right. and doing what we were doing here we, we we ran the oval which was fun we got some of the videos from from the day on my twitter account and uh, behind there we have an area that we uh, had one of the the ford people help us design a, a course to bring the media to and and run that's just in a common area back there for us that we had a blast i mean two areas where we're actually jumping trucks the same trucks that we were jumping and playing around on are going to drive from eldora back to indianapolis today so i mean that's that's pretty cool to have a vehicle that you know you can off-road like we were to take it on a, a dirt track like we were and flinging it around the corners and then get it on the highway and have a smooth ride all the way back to indy in the same truck when was the first time you raced a dirt car oh my god first time i raced anything was on dirt in a go-kart oh really when okay. i was eight years old basically in every capacity been driving everything on dirt ever since so this started your love affair with racing this surface yeah more so and, than and what's fun about dirt racing and I'm, I'm, i may not have answered it a minute ago i mean thing that's fun about dirt is you know like martinsville when we go to martinsville for example the groove is on the bottom you're always going to run the bottom of the corner every lap 500 laps if nobody's moving you out of the way or you're trying to pass somebody on the outside when you're at eldora you're going to start the day in the middle of the racetrack and as the evening progresses you're going to move up the racetrack or down the racetrack chasing the grip when the grip starts going away then it moves out and it moves down so depending on how you set your car up and what you're looking for you're either going to move down on the racetrack or move higher on the racetrack and that keeps changing all night long every time you go on the racetrack it's different than the time before and that's what's fun about dirt racing i mean with pavement racing you're doing the majority of the work with your hands with dirt track racing you're steering and controlling the car much more with your feet than you are your hands 
hands. So you can you can steer the car. And we were when we were riding the truck around there, I was steering a lot of it uh, initially with the throttle, driving and then, with your feet, and then keeping the front end up with the back end with our hands. So that's what makes dirt track racing unique. I don't know. It's poetry in motion, I guess, is the only way I can describe it because it's you're taking a, a vehicle and you're making it slide intentionally to make speed around the corner. So uh, to be able to do that and to be able to coordinate with your hands and feet like that, you know, we have that in pavement racing too, but it's not as pronounced as what it is when you're sure. on a dirt track. And drivers love challenges and they love options is what I've come to learn. It sounds yes. like it, it always presents both of those. It's all, it's ever-changing yeah, and you absolutely. can always adapt to it in different ways. Absolutely. Yeah. 100% spot on. Okay, let's pause the podcast here to tell you about a product from our presenting sponsor, STP, and that is the Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner and Fuel Stabilizer. For more than 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products such as this to help engines perform at their best. And this newest product, the STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner and Fuel Stabilizer, delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline. That helps keep fuel fresh during storage, especially in engines that are stored over an extended period of time. I have used products such as these for years in my personal cars. They're very easy to use. You just put the contents in the gas tank and they improve fuel efficiency and also keep your engines running smoothly. The STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner and Fuel Stabilizer is compatible with all two- and four-stroke engines, including lawnmowers, boats, and motorcycles. And one bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. So be sure to check out the STP Ultra 5-in-1 Plus Fuel System Cleaner and Fuel Stabilizer. And now let's return to our conversation with Tony Stewart. There's been a lot of talk this year, Tony, about dirt track racing because Kyle Larson has been running quite often and doing quite well. And that's put a focus on the appeal of it. Roger Slack last week was telling us that you know, car counts and crowds have been up for the dream this year. It seems like there's a bit of a renaissance. I know things aren't perfect like all racing series. Everybody has obstacles and things they're trying to overcome. But what do you think dirt racing is, is getting right right now? The product on the racetrack, I think more than anything, I mean... I have a, a sprint car series with the all-star circuit of champions that Articat helps us with. And uh, our car counts have been great this year. They were, they were good last year. They've been great this year. And I think when you can get that many cars, you're getting so many good cars coming to the races that it's putting on great races and the fans are seeing that. And you know what they see this year, then you see the benefit of it the next year. Mm-hmm. So last year it was really good. And that's why I think we've seen the crowds be up this year for our big races. The races this year have been really good too. So I think hopefully we'll have that kind of growth again next year. But obviously dirt track fans are, are pretty diehard anyway. But when the economy turned years ago, it's been a little bit hard to, to get everything back to where it was. And a lot of it's been for the teams more so than anything. But if the fans aren't going to see 24 good cars start in a main on Saturday night, they're not going to come spend their money. So now that the car counts are getting back up there and there's really really a lot of good quality teams on the racetrack now. Uh, I think it's given these fans a reason to really be out and support it uh, in full force again. I mean, we had a record crowd here Saturday night for the Kings Royal. You know, that's something that's encouraging for the sport. I mean, we're seeing a lot of tracks this year that have had big races that are seeing increases in car count and, and spectators. So uh, when you've got that, something's working for sure. Is it as simple as just the rules are in a good place and you've got enough good people and good teams involved trying to 
I think, I think it's the concept of keep it simple, stupid. <laughs> I mean, we've heard that all <laughs> of our life, but I think it's very easy to overthink and overcomplicate things to where people are like, it's just way too much to understand. When it comes to sprint car racing and dirt track racing, I mean, the cars are still relatively, sprint car racing, they're relatively simple still. The design of them hasn't changed a lot. The motor programs really haven't changed a lot and the cost of it hasn't changed. So you're seeing more teams that are able to have good equipment now. And it's literally changing four torsion bars, and four shocks, and move the left rear and right rear tires in and out on the car as the night goes on and change the ride heights. So you don't have to have an engineering degree to, to work on one of these race cars. When you get to series where the technology's taking over more than just people working on cars, that's that's when we start struggling with it all. When you had your injuries, your crash in Iowa four years ago, you said that you were hopeful that there would be a lot of safety advancements out of that and i know that there were some things in terms of what was it like the the torque legs. yeah right. that's there's been a lot of good things that have come out of it i mean even to this day i mean i i learned of a product here uh in the last two or three weeks that will be in my car this weekend oh really that we're going to have <laughs> that are right along those lines of the torque tube and the drive line trying to keep the the driver safer in the car you know even in iowa and oskaloosa where i where i got hurt uh terry mccarl who's a sprint car driver who's going into the national sprint car hall of fame this year who promotes the race that i got hurt at uh, sent me a picture and the big tractor utility tires that were in the infield lining the inside of the track are gone now and now they have tires that are buried they're buried upright in the racetrack to help with that so people are conscious of it and, and doing the things that is necessary to make it as safe as possible now. But it's still been a rough couple of years. I mean, Brian Clausen last year, there were a couple of others that were lost last year as well. Is it improving on that front or is, is it always going to be just part of the danger of, of racing with these types of vehicles? Yeah, and, these services? and you know, Brian's accident, it wasn't that he crashed was the problem. It was a, a car that hit him after he uh, was stopped. And that was the same thing that happened in my crash in Iowa. A guy right. had hit a tire and was stopped in the racetrack. I got turned part of the way down, but couldn't avoid him and, and hit him. And luckily it didn't hurt him very bad and versus hitting him straight in the side of the car where I was going to hit him I would take my injury 10 times over versus the alternative so I think the safety aspect of it's come a long way the great thing is the the chassis manufacturers are very conscious of it now when they're building cars and there's a lot of people that are very conscious about what they can do to make it better and make the drivers safer in the cars the seats have come a long way the seats are a huge part of why drivers are so much safer you got companies uh, I've got a carbon seat and I can't remember the name of the carbon seat that I run, but Dave Sharpley is a guy that does my seat inserts and he comes from uh, Andretti Autosport from the IndyCar program and he, he does the seat inserts for a lot of these dirt guys that have the carbon seats. You have Butler Bill, you have uh, Randy LaJoy that does his seats. Those three groups in particular have done an awesome job. You have Ultra Shields that, that do containment seats. There's so many good companies that are so conscious about keeping the drivers safe and obviously the, the safety equipment companies, Simpson, Bell, Impact, uh, Stilo, all, the, all these companies that are in all forms of motorsports that are concentrating on it keep coming up with better ways. And I still think back to 2001 when we lost Dale Sr. And mm-hmm. I think Dale would be really proud of not only did it start a movement to make drivers in NASCAR better, that started a movement in all of auto racing to make it safer for the drivers. So, you know, I think that's something we're proud of. I mean, as much as everybody wants to constantly work and put their mindset to making cars go faster, there's equally as many people 
people that are working hard to make them safer doing it as well. Safety sometimes comes up and the discussion turns to, you know, why aren't there more NASCAR drivers moonlighting? And Kyle Larson, actually, in addition to winning, has been a little bit more vocal about this. He's championing the idea of more NASCAR drivers running dirt series. Like he thinks it builds that connection with the grassroots. He kind of called out some of his peers, actually, in kind of a blunt way and saying that I do this because I think it's important to build racing. I think more guys should be doing it. Your, your take on that? Do more guys need to be out here's, there more? Here's the thing. When you're a NASCAR driver, your schedule is very, very busy. If you have a family, when you get your days off, everybody has the ability to do what they want to do on their days off. But if you have a family and you have kids that are in school and kids that are playing sports, that's what you spend your time doing. You know, Kyle's young enough. Kyle's son's young enough to where if Kyle wants to go race, they can go race. I mean, Kyle's son isn't old enough to play baseball or football or basketball. You know, so I think everybody has the ability. I mean, you have to do what you're passionate about. And Kyle Larson is very passionate about short track racing, as I am, as Ricky Stenhouse is, as Casey Kane is. You have to kind of do what you're into. And if you're into running dirt stuff, when you get time off, you go dirt racing. Jimmy Johnson, for example. Jimmy's very passionate about health and about what he does riding a bike and triathlons and all that. So when he has spare time, that's what he goes and does. You have to do what you love. It's not as simple as just everybody should just go and run a dirt track once a month. And and it's not for everybody. (laughs) I mean, Kevin Harvick absolutely hates racing on dirt. And I <laughs> begged him and begged him and begged him to come <laughs> race at Eldora. And he and he did it one time for me. He goes, I'm going to come do it. But that's not what he's into. You know, Kevin's into his management company and, right. and uh, playing golf. And that w- with what is demanded out of drivers nowadays, time-wise, when you get days off, you have to do what you enjoy doing and what you're passionate about. So it's guys like Denny Hamlin. Denny loves basketball. Right. And golf. And so when those guys get time to do that, that's what they that's what they should do. Well, that was certainly a major reason, if not the reason you stepped away from Cup last year was to say, hey, I'm reclaiming my life. I'm reclaiming my schedule. I'm going to live my life on my own terms. You got off to, I know, kind of a tough start this year. The first seven races weren't that stellar on the sprint car side, but then you won your eighth race. How has it gone since then, <laughs> since that went above a raceway park? Things good? I'm not near as competitive as I want to be right really? now. But, <laughs> you know, I was, I was out of a sprint car for two and a half years. And when I say the cars haven't changed a lot, they have Uh, the shock technology, just like in all forms of racing, shock technology has been really big, but the tires changed a little bit from what we were used to running two and a half years ago. And they're just as good, but what you have to do to make the tires happy is a little bit different than what it was two and a half years ago. And we've really been having to chase it. And recently we've started hitting on some things that are making it better. I think just the more laps I'm running, the more comfortable I'm getting as well. But I think, you know, for my whole team, my crew chief, you know, I've got, I've got two guys that work on my race car. It's two guys and myself that go to the races each night. None of us had raced on dirt for two and a half years. You know, I think for all of us in every aspect of it, it, it was a matter of, hey, we, we're behind and we all have to work hard to get caught up. And that's what, what our guys are doing. You know, we got the one guy that he's the tire specialist and works on the car. And he's been working hard trying to figure out what we need to do with the tires. And the crew chief's been trying to figure out what we got to do setup wise to complement what the tires need. And I'm trying to figure out what to do driving the car to figure out what to do with my hands and feet to make the tires happy too. So it's uh it's been a challenge it's not been near as easy as i would like it to be but um (laughs) you know that's why i like going sprint car racing too because it's not easy it's really difficult it's easy to drive the cars it's not easy to win in them and be fast in them 
Yeah, is it as competitive as it's ever been? More I, so than when you came I in? I definitely so, think yeah. so. I mean, and I think the reason for that isn't because the competition at the top has got tighter. It's the competition from the bottom has closed in on those guys at the top. And like I mentioned earlier, there's so many good drivers and teams and, and good equipment out there that it's really closed that gap up. Two guys on your crew? Yeah. And Roger was telling me, that, do you travel like in a toter with a truck thing I've attached been, to it? And it depends on where we've been going to, but yeah. some of the races here lately, they drive in the semi. And uh, I've been driving the t-shirt trailer. Oh, really? (laughs) I've been been driving a Ford Dually with uh, the t-shirt trailer behind it, towing it to the racetrack to... To sell our souvenirs out of it. And, and as dumb as it's going to sound and people aren't going to understand it or they're going to laugh at me for saying this. I mean, that's that's what a lot of the, the late model drivers, the sprint car drivers do. I mean, that's how you offset the cost of running right. these race cars. And for the guys that that's how they make a living, I mean, the souvenir side is big on the on the short track side. We've, we've sold a lot of souvenirs this year, which has been great. I know Kyle Larson mentioned something <laughs> about souvenirs the other day. But it's a little bit of a controversy, yes. I know it's been a controversy, <laughs> but everywhere we've gone and we've taken our, our souvenir trailer, we've done great great with it. I mean, it, and when you count the amount of people that are in the stands at a short track race versus an NASCAR race, I mean, we've been doing really well with it everywhere we've gone. You know, I know for the guy, for the drivers that that's their full-time job is driving race cars. That that t-shirt business is, is huge. So uh, thank God that it's not under the NASCAR side of it, or these guys wouldn't be making anything on the souvenirs. The guys on the NASCAR side aren't making squat on souvenirs. And it's something that it, it ticks me off daily. Too many fingers in the pie, basically, right? Too many fingers in the pie the and, and the drivers that have worked their entire life to build their brand aren't the ones that are making the most money on it. It's the ones that are printing the shirts and this and that. And for some reason, I don't know why they're the ones that make the most money out of it when they're they're making money off everybody else. So you could hire people to drive your dually or, or whatever, have a staff to sell. For you, is this just part of being a sprint car driver? Is it you want to be well, involved that way and like I've just enjoyed it. I mean, I could could still fly to the races each night, but it's been fun for me just to drive on the interstate, you know, again. And we had a trip recently where we went to uh, by Madison, Wisconsin. We went to a place called Beaver Dam and we raced on Friday night there. We got there, I think, at three in the afternoon. I drove the trailer to the grandstand side and set it up and got it up and going for the girl that sells T-shirts for us. And then I went back to the pit area. And then after the race was over, I went and signed autographs at the trailer for a little bit. And at one o'clock, I was closing the trailer up and we left to go down the road and we drove till 5 30 in the morning not all the way to the next track that we were racing on saturday and i think we got to bed at 5 30 and i think we got up at 11 to drive to knoxville iowa and we raced at knoxville raceway saturday night and we got done i think at 10 30 or 11 o'clock and went and closed the t-shirt trailer up and drove back to indiana and got to our shop in brownsburg at eight in the morning and got to the house in columbus at nine in the morning and went to bed and slept till about four in the afternoon so but it's fun it's fun doing those road trips it's we mentioned keeping it simple stupid it's nice to just kind of get on the road and you're driving down the interstate you can think of a lot of things and uh you can also just have time to not think of anything and just relax. So, right. uh, you so, drive down the road's a good opportunity to do that. I think I remember you telling me that last year that like when you were out on your property on your tractor, that was when you would just think of things, come up with ideas, projects. So is that sort of what you were looking for in, in making this move away from racing full-time NASCAR? Is that solace that you get when you're driving down the interstate? We've got a lot of things on our plate, you know, just between owning Eldora, a partner in Stuart Haas Racing. Uh, I have an RC car company. I've got 
a PR company. We've got our full-time World of Outlaws team with Donnie Schatz. We have the all the Articat All-Star Circuit of Champions Sprint Car Series. Got my hands in a lot of different things. Driving a race car was a full-time job by itself. And then everything else combined was about as much pressure as just being a NASCAR driver. So to take that part of the equation out, stress-wise, has taken a ton of stress off. The workload's higher now, but I'm having fun doing the work that I'm doing. It, it's definitely been the right move for me. Yeah, you're as busy as you've ever been, obviously. Are there still other things you want to do? I remember last year when we sat down and talked, you said that people were approaching you with opportunities you weren't expecting racing-wise. Is there anything on the horizon that you're... Yeah, Steve Arpin's been uh, calling me a lot, wanting me to to drive a a second global rally cross car (laughs) with him. That would be cool. And I'm very interested in doing that. The hard part is, and I've we've been playing phone tag back and forth, uh, trying to get organized to to have a conversation about it. We just have so much stuff going on that it's a good problem to have. It's nice to be so busy that it's hard to find time to do all the things we want to do. But, you know, for example, I got to do the little 500 this year, which is a pavement sprint car race on a quarter mile high bank track. That's a 500 lap race like you would have at Bristol. Uh, And for sprint cars where you have to make pit stops with cars that don't have starters and clutches on them, it's a really cool event. It's, Hmm. It's a one of a kind event. And I've never had the opportunity to run it and this year i got to to run that race it was a really big toss-up between racing the little 500 which was a bucket list item for me or going to monaco to the formula one race. <laughs> so that was my drama was picking was am i going to go race a sprint car or am i going to go all the way overseas to monaco to an f1 you may race? be the first person in the history of mankind to, have to face that have choice to that, that decision. Think, right yeah well i just I, I made the decision that i was going to run the little 500 because i i had the opportunity to race for the hoffman family which is historic and non-wing USAC sprint car racing to drive for them. I I drove for them before and uh, Rob Hoffman kind of retired at the end of last year, but to run me at the little 500, he came out of retirement to run that one race. And he said that was his last race that he's going to run. So I I couldn't turn that down, obviously. But then next year, instead of going back to little 500, I'm going to go to Monaco and hang out with Gene and see what the F1 program is over there. So it's cool to be checking boxes off. Something that was important to me last week before we came to Eldor for the Kings Royal was uh, racing at Columbus, Indiana, where I was born and raised yeah. at the fairgrounds at the fair race for the three quarter midgets. You'd never run that race. Well, I've ran it. Okay. I've ran it. I shouldn't say a lot, but I, I've ran it a lot. The last race I think I won on a three-quarter midget was at, at the Columbus Fair. But, you know, when I was a kid racing go-karts, when the fair came around, I mean, that was your biggest race of the year because that was the biggest crowd you ever had was when the fair was going on. <laughs> and the three-quarter midgets raced the same night. And I was just in awe as a kid that was racing go-karts, looking at these guys racing TQs and going, man, it'd be cool to be able to do that one day. And so for some reason, that's just always stuck in my head. And so I'm building a car that didn't get done for this year. Year, but I'm building a car to race one race a year at the local fair, which they, they don't cost a lot to build, luckily. But that's just it's just little things like that that everybody thinks that when you get to this level, it's the big things that matter. And what they forget is that you know NASCAR is the big thing that matters all the time. But it's cool to go back and do things that don't seem big to everybody else that really mean a lot to us. Just things like that and running little 500, going to Ohio Sprint Week with the with the All Stars. I mean, things like that are the things that you really have more time to. Th- thoroughly enjoy when you get the opportunity to go and do it now. So when you race in Columbus, you don't need to ask if friends and family are coming. I mean, those are your oh, neighbors. Yeah. Those are, everybody town you know comes, is there, right? Yeah. Anybody <laughs> that you know that lives in town is going to come watch you race that night. But uh, And those are people that a lot of times 
couldn't They're afford to go to a NASCAR right. race and didn't have the opportunity to watch you run very much or don't want to travel. You know, they're not used to going out of town a lot and don't go very far. So being able to race in front of your hometown crowd like that, that's that's a lot of fun for us. Okay. So I know we can keep an eye on you at Columbus. Any other, I know you don't disclose your schedule really ahead of time so much, but any other races you can tell us about? The hard part, I know the fans have been asking us to to get a schedule online. The hard part is, and it's this aspect of it's been kind of fun. I'm constantly changing my schedule. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of where we're going to go race. And, and especially if it looks like, uh, you know, we're not racing for points anywhere. So if it, if it looks like it's going to rain somewhere that we were planning on going racing, if it looks like it's going to get rained out, we'll look at the schedule and say, hey, there's another, there's two more races that are three or four states away that the weather is forecasted to be really good for the weekend. So we change our plans and we go down there instead. If you put a schedule online and you change it yeah. and don't update it right away, they, they get mad. People tickets and yeah. say, hey, what's, what's going and on? The, and the racetrack promoters, for sure, you know, we have tracks that are actually booking us to come race. And if the weather looks bad, we still go to those races, obviously. But we have promoters that have booked us to come race. And if you put your schedule online, then there's no real reason for promoters to book you if they already know where you're going. Some of those races that we get booked, that offsets the cost of running the car. But it's kind of fun to not really have that set in stone schedule. We have we only have about a handful of races that we let promoters book us this year because it's been kind of fun to have the ability to just look at the different schedules and say, hey, let's just go over here this weekend. This sounds like a, a lot more fun than where we were going to go. So it's been fun to just kind of, I guess, be Peyton Manning and call audibles all day long right. about where we're going to go race at. Hop in the t-shirt truck and go where the wind yeah. takes you. Yeah, I like it. I like doing it. It's yeah. uh, it's simple, but that's what makes it so much fun is just because it's simple. You're a simple kid from Indiana. Yeah. You I'm not very complicated. I'm, I'm not smart <laughs> enough to be too complicated. I like it when things are simple. All right, man. Well, I'm glad you're enjoying life. I'm glad you're happy. We'll look forward to seeing whatever tracks you end up at uh, Sundays as well in NASCAR. Thanks for doing this, Tony. Really appreciate no, it. Oh, man. I'm glad, too. I'm glad we got the opportunity to, to have you guys over here today and play around. I never thought in a million years that at Eldora that I could take a stock Ford Raptor and be dirt tracking it like a sprint car around here but it was a lot of fun well the slow motion tweet you sent <laughs> i am the passenger in that car uh and that will i'm gonna say yeah, that to that me, is, so. if you have yeah. not seen that you gotta see it because it's, <laughs> it's priceless thanks again man really right, appreciate it. thank you we appreciate tony stewart for joining us that was fortuitous timing he actually won four days later in the arctic cat all-star circuit of champions series the series he mentioned during that podcast that was his first win in a sprint car since the one in april And it's the second one since he retired as a NASCAR driver. I wonder how late he stayed signing autographs after that second victory before breaking down the merchandise and t-shirt trailer and climbing back behind the wheel for another long drive down the interstate. Thanks as well to Matt Fancett and Scott Sebastian of Campbell Marketing and Communications and Dave Parasak of Ford Performance for organizing this event at Eldora Speedway where they made Tony available. Also, thanks to Mike Arning of True Speed Communications for his help in coordinating the time. A reminder that NASCAR America is on 5 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time weekdays on NBCSN. Wednesdays are our driver interview shows at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. Today, it's Daniel Suarez of Joe Gibbs Racing. That's 5 p.m. today on NBCSN, NASCAR America. Check it out. NASCAR is at Pocono Raceway in Iowa Speedway this weekend. Xfinity qualifying at Iowa is on at noon Saturday on NBCSN. The race is on NBC beginning at 3 p.m. Saturday with Countdown to Green. On Sunday, Cup qualifying is on at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time on NBCSN and will be followed by extensive pre-race coverage on NBCSN starting with NASCAR America at 12.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Countdown to Green at 2.30 and the green flag at Pocono around 3.18 p.m. Again, all of that on NBCSN 
Sunday. A reminder, the NASCAR NBC podcast presented by STP is on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Audioboom, Spotify, and most podcasting apps. If you can leave a rating, review, or just tell people that you like what you hear, that really helps us out. And if you have feedback, send it to me on Twitter, at Nate Ryan is my handle. Thanks again for listening to the NASCAR NBC podcast presented by STP. I'm Steve Letarte, STP auto expert and former crew chief. I know what it takes to keep engines performing at their best. STP's latest breakthrough additive, STP Ultra 5-in-1 plus Fuel System Cleaner plus Fuel Stabilizer delivers three times the amount of cleaning agents versus premium gasoline and helps keep fuel fresh during storage. For over 60 years, STP has been on the cutting edge developing products to help engines run better, longer. One bottle contains three times by weight the amount of cleaning agents compared to 20 gallons of the leading premium gasoline. 